or actually a couple weeks ago, but last week we got into it, mentioned about the humility of Jesus Christ and how we're to follow after that. But we started in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so he's speaking to this as believers. It's our responsibility to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. In other words, God has done his part. Now it's time for us to do our part. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned transformation, but really what transformation is, is becoming more and more like Jesus. And the way you become more and more like Jesus is to start thinking like him, having his thoughts. And that's why the word is so important. And we've mentioned that there's no transformation without the renewing of our mind. And so we have to be in the word of God. And if you're not in the word of God, you're going to miss the opportunity that God gives us to be transformed, to become like Christ. It's amazing to me how many people through the years we've been pastoring 31 years. And it's amazing to me that the people who tell me, and I, I can't believe that they're bold enough to tell me this, that they're not going to read God's word. Then I, I can tell you something. Your life is not going to amount to much. And it's proven that way. I've seen it. And then we looked at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. Philippians 2, 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. And in here, it talks about how, um, but he emptied, verse 7 says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And, you know, that, that's complete humbleness. That's complete humility. Is to, he would, he's God, but he emptied that so that he could take on us. And we have to understand, he chose to humble himself. He chose this. He was willing to do this. And in becoming like us, he knew that the end was going to be his death. That if he obeyed the Father, he was going to die. Mm. But the awesome thing is, is he trusted the Father enough that he was willing to die for us, and he did die for us. And Again, the awesome thing is, is because he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. God has given him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I mean, it's not like you're going to have to say it, you know, but you're going to have to say it to the glory of God. Woo! But, you know, we don't have to worry about that. What's so awesome about us? We get to proclaim it now. We get to rejoice in that now. Hallelujah. Woo! And to think no one, no human being, is going to escape that precious moment where you bow down and you declare Jesus Christ Lord to the glory of God. I mean, I don't know, maybe we'll see God do a, a dance or something. I don't know. But he's going to be excited. We looked last week how Jesus is God and for a moment he took on the form, the nature of our humanity so that he could become a sympathetic high priest going before the Father on our behalf understanding what we're going to go through, understanding the temptations, the difficulties, the trials that we're going to go through, and then able to come to our rescue. Mm. And so, as we look at this, we realize that God has created man in His likeness and image. And so we have physical eyes, but we also have spiritual eyes. And we need to operate in both of those. Okay? I mean... We can't walk around closed in the natural, having our eyes closed in the natural. We have to have them open. But if we're a believer, God has opened up our spiritual eyes and he expects us, he wants us, he longs for us to see life through spiritual eyes as well. Not just relying on what we see in the natural, but to give ourselves to what's out there in the spiritual. We're the ones who touch both worlds. We touch the natural world or realm and we touch the spiritual realm. Mm. And so God has equipped us to be able to function in both of those. As believers, God desires that we are transformed. And part of the way that we're transformed is we're reading his word and we're seeing things differently. You know. How many times do we pray? God changed whatever in our life, whatever the circumstances. God, if you'll just change that, everything will be great in my life and, and God doesn't change it. And I'll tell you why he doesn't change it. Because he's waiting to change us. Because when we're looking at a certain situation, usually we're looking at it from a natural point of view, from our own understanding. And we're thinking, God, if you would just take this away from me. If you would just get this out of my life, I would be the happiest person on the face of the earth. But he can't do that because you're still not going to be happy because there's something in us that he wants to work that is greater. And even though we have spiritual eyes to see, that, that's not a guarantee. It's not an automatic that we're going to walk in it. We have to choose to see life through spiritual eyes and gain the wisdom that we get from that. If you want to be a frustrated Christian, just live your life according to the natural. Live it according to what you see. The lowest form of life when God has called us to so much greater. We have a choice to play in all of this. Where we're going to get our wisdom from. Either from the world system and what it says or from God and what His Word says. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You didn't think I was going to get there, did you? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm just giving you time to get there. 
verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, and he's writing to believers, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Thank God. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Don't go to the next slide yet. Now, isn't that amazing? So there's two kinds of wisdom. And there's the wisdom of this world. There's the wisdom that the rulers of this world, the politicians, all the government, the religious leaders want to place on us. And then there's God's. And it's His Word. And it's what we see in His Word. We have to decide which one are we going to believe. It's amazing to me how the government has become, for believers, their God. Everything they say and do, they just believe. And it's like, but then they'll get mad at the church (laughs) for having problems. Well, what do you think the government is? The government's full of people as well who have their own agenda, who are after their own thing. And that doesn't bother you, but you find somebody in the church that doesn't do you right and you're out. All right. So we have two realms of wisdom that we can operate in. Verse 8 is so amazing in this. Let's read it. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Isn't that awesome? You see, they thought that they were doing right. They thought that by killing Jesus, they were going to do right. They were going to take care of the world's problem because it was Jesus. And all along, all they're doing, because they don't have the wisdom of God, they don't have the understanding of God, they do the very thing that brings us salvation through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? God is so smart. And I just want to encourage you, if you think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, just hang on. My Bible says that the gates of hell cannot Overcome us. I mentioned this last week, but I I just need to bring it up. Quit praying that He comes back and saves you. If you're saved, just act like you are. Live like you're saved. Grow up. He mentions the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. And you know what? All that is is what they deem is true. And they're coming from a natural perspective. They're not inquiring of God. And so we're not to get our wisdom from them. Because the wisdom from the world, the rulers of this world, the elites who know more and better than anyone else. Isn't that true today? You have the elites that they think they know everything about everything. Have you ever met somebody who knows everything about everything? Oh my gosh. 
So, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, says that this wisdom of the world, the rulers, the elites, I just want to remind you, they're doomed to pass away. You're not going to answer to them. You're going to answer to Jesus. So, if the whole world is saying this is right, if it's not right with God, it's not right. I, I, it doesn't matter how many people you get on your side. If, if God isn't on your side, it's wrong. So we have to be careful what wisdom we follow. And we have to examine where our wisdom is coming from. And again, may I remind you that the Holy Spirit through Paul says that God imparts to believers a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Ooh, that all already ought to excite us that we can have a wisdom that's not of this world. And the awesome thing is, is that this wisdom was available, but not everyone was able to see it. Not everybody saw it. And the rulers of this age, they certainly didn't understand it because they crucified the salvation for us, the Savior of the world for us. And the truth is, is this reality is still being lived out today. The world doesn't have a handle on truth. The world doesn't know what truth is. God does. And they don't understand the things of God. They don't understand the ways of God. They don't understand the plans of God. Because they see things from the natural. But they don't understand what God is doing behind the scenes. We're going to look at the birth of Christ. And, you know, in the natural, it just looked like nothing. Sorry if your name's Jane, but it was plain Jane. There was nothing exciting about the birth of Jesus. And yet, there was excitement in the heart of God. Because He knew what was coming. Just think, in the world's ignorance, they crucified Jesus to become Savior. You're in 1 Corinthians 2. Let's go to chapter 1, if you will, just real quick, because I just like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? So he's talking about the elites. He's talking about those who know everything. Where are they? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And what do we preach? Christ crucified. They still don't get it. They still don't understand it. it. The world tries to make things so complicated. Instead of two genders, there's God knows how many now. But 
salvation through Jesus Christ is so simple that the wise of this world miss it. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So if you're going through a struggle, just relax. Gain his wisdom on it. I love that verse because it says that when we give our lives to Christ, that Christ becomes not only the power of God, but the wisdom of God for us. That we don't have to live according to what we see. We don't have to live according to what we can do. But we can trust God along the way and He'll take care of us. We'll see this in the birth of Jesus, our Savior. And how... You can either view him from his birth from the natural or you can view it from the spiritual realm. And Jesus humbled himself. And so we're to have the same mindset, the same attitude. And when you look at the, at the birth of Jesus, it was nothing spectacular in the natural. And not only that, it was very humble. It was very plain. It was unnoticeable. Okay? Who even took notice of it? And it may have even been humiliating. Can you imagine being born in a manger? Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, please. John, chapter 1. Just to refresh our memory on who Christ is. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. <laughs> it's still trying, but it can't. Verse 9, verse, or John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And I just want to encourage you on this. This is two types of people that didn't know him. The world, everybody, but also the world, the religious leaders. Okay? Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But verse 12 is the key. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if we're born again, it's because God wanted you to be born again. And the honest truth is, is God wants everyone who was Created in, to be a human being, to be born again, to know him in a personal way while we're down here. To be able to 
exalt the name of Jesus, declare him Lord, even while we're down here before we wait. So the world, those who are made by God, did not recognize Jesus as God. Why? Because in the natural, it didn't look like anything important. And I want to start off in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Because we're talking about transformation. We're talking about changing our mind. Renewing our mind according to the word of God. Joseph is the first one that I want to look at. Because he was engaged to Mary. And then she has to tell him, honey, guess what? I'm pregnant. But it's God's child. So he's thinking and, you know, well, let's just read it. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he's thinking in the natural, okay? He's looking at it in the natural. Verse 20. And I love the way this starts off. But as he considered this. So to me, that means that he was probably praying about. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he gets God's perspective now. And then we're going to hear from the Old Testament and says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And <coughs> excuse me. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the transformation. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You see, in the natural, he didn't get it. But then God opened up his spiritual eyes. God spoke to him. And in the spiritual realm, he got and he was transformed. He changed. Okay, that's what God wants to do for us. Then with him. The wise men come and then they leave and they came to Jesus. And he's really about, you know, 18 months, two years old at this time. And. Herod's going to kill all the young babies. So God warns Joseph to take Mary and Jesus down to Egypt and go live there. So he warns him in a dream, just like he talked to him. What does Joseph do? Joseph gets up and he obeys and he goes down to Egypt. Then when Herod is gone and the threat of the killing is gone, then God speaks to him again in a dream. The angel of the Lord tells him, okay, Herod's dead. You can go back. It's safe. And so he goes back up. We can just kind of gloss over that, but I'm telling you, that's transformation at its highest. 
to number one, to take Mary as his wife, to go through the shame and the scorn and the humiliation that they're going to go through. Because, I mean, can you imagine what was going through everybody's mind? Oh, she's pregnant, but it's God. I mean, they had to live through that. I wonder if he looked like Joseph. You know, God may have done that just to make people think, you know. John the Baptist, he saw Jesus. He was transformed because he saw from his spiritual eyes when he saw Jesus coming to the river, he saw through his spiritual eyes the Holy Spirit come and rest on Jesus like a dove. And God had promised, the one you see the dove come and remain, that's the Messiah. And so he's transformed by that. The wise men had spiritual eyes to see. Matthew chapter 2. We're not going to go through all of them, but we're just going to highlight some things. Matthew chapter 2. Because we have to ask ourselves, are we seeing life just through our natural eyes, or we, do we have spiritual eyes that we're seeing things through? Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. This is the wise men. And they've made the journey, and I can't remember how long the journey is. I think it was nine months. Nine months. Can I ask you a question? How many other people made a journey to come find Jesus? We only have three that we know of. Because they were seeing things differently. So Matthew chapter 2 verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Where is everybody else? How come nobody else came and saw Jesus and saw him as a savior, as a king? I mean, that's what they're doing. They're worshiping him. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 1, this has a lot of transformation going on on this one. You have Elizabeth, which is Mary's aunt, if I'm correct, and she's never had a child. Now she's pregnant with John the Baptist supernaturally, okay, at her old age, barren. And then Mary has her encounter with God. She's pregnant. Well, she's going to go to see Elizabeth. And so you have Elizabeth and Mary exchanging and being transformed. But you also have John the Baptist as well. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Isn't that amazing? 
So, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb when he hears Mary's voice in the house. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So by the Holy Spirit, she exclaims this. Verse 43, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In other words, she's already acknowledging the birth or the who Jesus is in her. I mean, maybe she had heard through the grapevine too that Mary was pregnant and it was God's. And now when she comes there and John verifies that, then now she's excited. She's transformed. She's understanding it. It's coming to her. She's not just seeing things from the natural. Verse 45 or 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my, le- in my womb leaped. And then she adds these words for joy. The first time that she talks about it, she just says that he leaped. But the second time she says, he leaped for joy. Woo! And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So she's letting Mary know, hey, I understand now. I'm seeing things different now. It's not just a natural view of, un- of wisdom, but it's a spiritual wisdom. And when we think of Jesus born in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the inn. Think about this as they're going to Jerusalem, Bethlehem, to be counted. They go there and she's pregnant. Well, nobody even noticed them. Wouldn't you love to think that if you were back then and you saw a young couple and she was as pregnant as she was pregnant, that you would try to accommodate her in some way, but nobody even noticed them. They probably just looked at them and said, oh, that's just a dumb young couple, got pregnant way too early. I can't imagine, because there's no room in the end. All of them are filled. There's nobody there that took notice of them. There's Nobody could see things different from them. Or for them, they just saw them after the natural eyes and that was it? I mean, how? here's the king of the world, the king of the universe, the savior of the world, and he's coming into the world and nobody even knows. And so God says, okay, you're going to be like that? Now I'm going to shout it. Luke chapter 2. I mean, nobody's even understanding this. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, and remember, this is just one angel. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. This is amazing. He's telling shepherds now. He said, and this is going to be a sign for you. To me, that tells me that they're getting ready to have a transformation. And God knew that they were getting ready to have a transformation in their life. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased or with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. How awesome is that? Here they are, and this is, this is what excites me. Being shepherds, they're out in the field. That's the lowliest of the lowest of work going. You didn't really want to be known as a shepherd. And God speaks to them. God reveals something to them. Nobody else is able to. Now, this is just my mind, and, and I might be a little off on this, but just think about this. Did anybody else not see what was going on? Did not anybody else hear the angels singing? I mean, I know that they were out in the fields and I know that they were, you know, out there. But nobody else, I mean, like, when we're driving from out of town and it's dark and the corn is harvested and even when it's not, you can see for miles. Miles, and especially if it's in the sky. And they didn't have high-rise buildings to keep them from seeing this. Nobody else saw it. Nobody else heard it. But they did. And they responded to it. They were transformed by it. And they said, look, man, if God has shown us this, and this is our sign, let's go find this baby. And they go and they find him. Verse 16. And they went with haste. <laughs> I love that. Because we would say, I went with the, uh, after the committee said it was okay. No, they went with haste. They went right away. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, they told Mary and Joseph what happened. They said, look, smells good in here. We're used to this. Where's the baby? How many, how many other people would have gone into that manger and been offended by the smell? Mm. Verse 18 and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
how would we have responded if we were one of those shepherds? How, I mean, would we have thought, oh my gosh, we just ate too much pizza today and we're seeing things that aren't true. How would we have responded? How do we respond to God and His simple birth? How do we, it's so simple that we can miss it. Luke chapter 2. This is the story of Simeon and Anna. And this is one of my favorite stories, especially at Christmas. But anytime I just I just like going back to read this because I'm so encouraged by them. Simeon is a had he may not be now, but he was something in the temple, probably a priest, a high priest. Anna is a widow. And she's familiar with the temple because it says that she goes there every day and she's praying and worshiping, fasting and praying and worshiping. I mean, their whole mindset is just amazing to me. Let's just read Luke chapter 2, verse 25. They had spiritual eyes. Luke 2.25 Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's good. If you're going to have spiritual eyes, it pays to have the Holy Spirit with you. Verse 26 And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, before he had seen the Messiah. So every day he's in the temple, and you know what? He's waiting for the Messiah to show up because he knows he's coming. He said, I ain't dead yet, but I, I might be getting old, but I ain't dead. He, I know he's coming because I know what God has spoken to me. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. So the Holy Spirit was all around this guy. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. So he sees them coming in. He's, he's got the mind of the Lord. He's got a transfer, transformed mind. He has a wisdom that isn't of this world. It's a wisdom from God. He goes to them. He takes the child out of their arms. And this is what he says. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Mm, isn't that awesome? For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for the glory to your people, Israel. How did he proclaim that? He proclaimed it through his spiritual eyes. Through understanding what God had.
we have to understand. That he was looking forward to this. He was anticipating Jesus coming. How many of us are living our life anticipating him coming? It says that he was righteous and a devout man. And he hung around the temple. He was waiting. He prepared himself. He put himself in the position to see what God had promised him. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce, will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so it's a glorious day, but he's speaking of what's going to happen to him. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanal, of the tribe of Asher, she, would, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that, that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She had spiritual eyes to see. And I wonder just how are we living life? Are we just living it according to what we see in the natural? According to the wisdom and the understanding that we have with the natural? Or do we see life through the eyes of God? Through the eyes of the Holy Spirit? With the wisdom that God has? From Jesus humbling himself, embracing humanity, becoming like us. We can learn that we don't always have to be right and to stand on. You see, God is always right. He's never wrong. And yet he lowered himself. He humbled himself enough to become like you and I. And if he was willing to do that, then we can be willing to do that. Jesus left glory. He left the splendor of heaven and became like us, humbled himself not only from his birth, but all the way through to the obedience of death on a cross. In closing, I just want to share this lesson that we can learn, hopefully about the humility of Jesus, and this is what God wants us to walk in as well. When we are truly walking in humility, trusting God, we don't have to promote ourselves. God will do that. God will take care of that. What I have found through the years in 
found it in my life and watching it in others. Anytime you promote yourself, you have to keep yourself. Anytime you promote yourself, you have to keep promoting yourself. You have to keep making sure everybody knows who you are. When you're walking in humility, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is trust God and he'll take care of the rest. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to declare anything. Jesus comes and not very many people know who he is, but there were a few. There were a few, and I want to be of the few that know him. If it's only a few that see him as he is, then I want to be one of them. When God promotes you, it doesn't always look like promotion. (laughs) I mean, he's promoting Jesus, is he not? When he comes and takes on form of humanity and is willing to die on the cross for us, that's actually a promotion for him. He just doesn't experience it yet. But then he does get the promotion because what? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So even though it may not look like your life is being promoted right now, even though in the eyes of the world it may look like things aren't good for you right now and and you've probably made some wrong decisions and you're going down the wrong path, just hang in there. Keep trusting God. Stay humble before Him. Stay humble before Him. Just for clarification, my second favorite scripture is this. Diana thinks it's my first, but Colossians is my first. But here's my second favorite. And this is quoted often in our house. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, and it says this, and it's speaking of Jesus' death. When he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so really what it comes down to, if you make a mistake, then make it right. Apologize. Make it right. But if you're right, don't worry about it. Keep entrusting yourself to him who judges justly. How did Jesus do this? And Peter tells us that this attitude should be in us that Christ left us this example, that we should follow in it. So, are you entrusting yourself to Him who judges justly? It takes humility to be able to do that. You can't do that if you don't walk in humility. Humility. 